Welcome to Investing in the US, a podcast for real estate investors, business owners, and aspiring entrepreneurs looking to break into the US market. Join Reid as he interviews go-getters, risk-takers, and the best in the business about their journey towards financial freedom and the sheer joy of creating something from nothing. G'day, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another cracking episode of Investing in the US. I'm your host, Reed Goosens. Good as always to have you with us here on the show. Now, this is episode two of two, which is the top 10 episodes of Investing in the US over the last five years. That's right. We have been recording for five years, 250 episodes, over 250 episodes of incredible content, guests that have been come on this show to share their exact story about how they've built something from nothing. And we have gone back, we've gone back through time and taken the best 10 episodes and jammed it into two separate episodes, two episode 250 and episode 251. And this is the second episode of that top 10 look back. In today's episode, we're looking at five entrepreneurs that are extremely influential in not only my career, but in the careers of so many other people who help them excel at what they do. So really hope you enjoy today's episode. Again, if you do like this show, the easiest way to give back, and you guys have been giving back to me heaps over the last couple of weeks as we've approached the five-year anniversary of investing in the US, is going onto iTunes and giving that show a five-star review. It only takes two minutes, but it's a great way for our exposure to be increase on the platform. Another way, you can also follow me on all the social media platforms on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn by just searching my name, Reed Goosens. And lastly, if you want to find out more about my investment opportunities, head over to reedgoosens.com and click on the subscribe link for our newsletter and you'll be notified of up and coming new deals that we have coming out here in 2021. Well, without further ado, let's get into the last five episodes of the top 10 of investing in the US over the last five years. I hope you enjoy. So first up, we are chatting with a great guy, Vinny Smiley Chopra, and I recorded an episode with him back in early 2020. And in that episode, we talk about how you scale your business in a year full of COVID, even though looking back on it, we didn't know COVID was around the corner, but how to scale your real estate business successfully. Vinny himself has been involved in over 27 syndications over his career. He has made a lot of money in real estate syndications through multifamily. He's extremely knowledgeable, extremely successful, and he's just a down-to-earth dude. I've shared this stage with him a couple of times uh, over the last couple of years. I've been on his show. He's been on my show. He's just a truly, truly down-to-earth guy. He also has a coming-to-America story. He's originally from India. He rocked up to this country with not much in his pocket, a couple of pennies, and he's been able to build a massive syndication business. And now he's giving back to other people, which is super, super helpful and really down to earth of him to be able to give his knowledge back to those people who want to learn about it. So without further ado, let's dive into this snippet of Vinny Chopra. Hope you enjoy. Reed, actually, I started like in like 2008 or so, let's say. So we had hired a very nice company from Dallas, by the way, and they were managing 22,000 units back then. And we were just small potato, right? <laughs> 109 units because my first one was 14 units. We were managing ourselves. It was not that bad. But when we bought 109 units along with 101 storage units and a commercial building all together, 
we were finding my partner and I were at the property a lot more <laughs> than the managers and then the other people. And they were having difficulty, you know, finding the uh, community manager, maintenance people. That's when we decided when we bought the third or the fourth asset, I think we said, you know, let's just start our own company. I said, love it. Love the idea. We were looking around then to find the best property management consultant consultant and we hired her and paid like 25000 to 30000 i think she flew into san antonio at that time we were buying near austin and san antonio and within literally within 4 weeks she got our company all started with manuals with payroll with hiring with job descriptions and everything that was the best investment we did, to be truthful. That was back in 2009 and 10. So Ideal Investment, Ideal Management Group, those are my two companies before with the partner. And then Monil Investment and Monil Management are the new companies which my wife and I own fully integrated, you know. So we have had really good luck with because we get into the pulse of marketing. Uh, the billing, the authenticity of the uh, invoicing, uh, you know, because everybody knows, everybody knows that we get gouged, you know, all the time when it's not your money, they spend more freely and everything. We, I tell my team and we give great bonuses in our employees. I mean, our team members, every six months we give bonuses, performance bonuses. They get medical benefits, they get insurance, they get everything. So it's good to build camaraderie and the culture. And that comes when you're vertically integrated. How many units do you currently have right now? Uh, you know, at the peak, I had 4,100 units, yep. but we have sold quite a lot. My old company, 14 syndications, we just sold the last two. <laughs> so, you know, we are now selling some more in the Texas area. I sold one in Atlanta also just recently. And we are just, you know, building, I don't know how many we have now, but, you know, selling and buying and some are on the sale. I just signed a contract for another one in Texas. And then we are looking for picking up about 220 million more worth in 2020. So that's where we are getting geared for, for the next year. But, but tell me how you've had it. 27, 2018, you didn't pick up anything. How are you picking up 200 million in 2020? <laughs> <laughs> Well, we picked up 87 million this year right. in just five months, you know, so that's a projection. because our bandwidth have increased a lot. I can qualify for almost $45 million loan now, you know, with the net worth and everything. So it's just changed the game for me and my partners and we can go bigger and bigger. We're looking at a $100 million deal now, actually, pocket listing. We just toured another one as we just closed on Tuesday last week. Wednesday, we were touring for the next one. <laughs> that's awesome. That's congratulations. I think that's that's exactly. But but let's. This is all success, right? You know, success is great and 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 well done. But there's got to be some challenges along the way, particularly you're in and around the property management. Property management's a hard game, and I know as as being an asset manager for my company, we have 1,700 units. Um, I'm constantly trying to instill ownership on the on-site team to, to yes. manage like owners. Now, the, 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 the sort of conundrum we have is that you pay these on-site managers maybe $45,000, $55,000 and they're managing $20,000, $30,000, $40 million assets. How do they think, 
how do you it's it's a struggle for me to try to instill in them a culture even though it's i use a third-party property manager as i'm the owner but i've got to i, I want you to think like i think and it's really tough when you know i, I just asset manage them and, and they're still third party to me how did you go about creating that culture in your business to get those on-site managers to to own what they do because it is it is tough right you know, uh, not saying that everyone out there who owns thirty, uh, forty, or fifty thousand dollars can't think like we do, but you have to yeah. have the mindset. And if, if you don't have that mindset, or you feel like you're under the pump, you can you can sort of lose sight of that. And that's where I've found it very hard to instill that confidence within my team. So, so what, what sort of tricks and do you do within your culture? Very, very important what you're talking about. And really, I've gone through that and my companies and my teams have gone through what you're talking about. The biggest decision I made uh, in my company was to bring the accounting very close to where we live mm -hmm. rather than keeping accounting far away and to have the right vice president of financial affairs. I mean, I'm paying her good money, but that's the best thing I ever did because she started to invest also with me and then we grew the money double tripled and all that then her husband and everything so alliance came right that's a big part alliance buying into what winnie's about how transparent our whole operation is very very transparent to the investors they can ask for bids they can ask for invoices bank statements, anything and everything, no holds bar in our companies. That's the best thing. So that really brings into our culture also. Hey, investors can show up anytime without telling you. And they're going to be, you know, looking at who is doing what with the leasing and so forth. And I say that in my presentations also to the investors in my meetings, you know, every quarter, I remind them that, you know, they could fly without telling me and they can shop the property. They could do this. They could do that, all that. But the big thing is when I'm out there with them, I spend time sitting down with them and, you know, right from the small, you know, right from the bottom to the top and then do camaraderie things. We do the crawfish boil and, you know, we do, uh, you know, special barbecues and we do, we even have preferred vendors pay for all the food and everything. And, you know, I mean, they have budgets. So it's good to even ask them to get, get involved and then have incentives. And like I said, you know, we give uh, uh, performance bonuses and all that. So it's just that try to pay them a dollar more. This, that's a big mindset. I always believe that would they be really more focused if I paid them fairly and squarely mm -hmm. and gave bonuses and all that. So what I find is in managing all these years, make sure that you're giving them that increase after a year or, you know, or six months, whenever you told them, right. And you do the performance and then you increase a little bit more because that $1 increase is going to build their morale and make sure that you're also having a fund. We have like a, uh, you know, we had, uh, uh, Harvey hit, right? So my wife and I donated into a fund. We bought, uh, like trucks for our maintenance people who lost their truck or we gave some money for the families because they got displaced, you know? So we were very much out there, you know, for them. See, that's the genuineness of the nature, which makes them more work harder for you.
Next up, we have a very, very good friend of mine, Mr. Frank Rosler, the founder of Ashcroft Capital. And I interviewed Frank at a live event in Colorado before COVID hit back in early 2020. And in that interview, we talk about Frank's journey. And I've been there since the beginning because I helped Frank start a business with his first ever 250 unit property that he bought in Houston, Texas. I was right there at the beginning. And he's helped me along my career as well. He has been able to come on board and help me um, grow my business as well. But what we talk about in that episode is how Frank has scaled from zero, literally zero units to over 10,000 units in just five years years. That's pretty incredible. 10,000 units in five years. It's a super inspirational story. He is a wealth of knowledge. He's down to earth. He's a super smart guy. Highly recommend going and giving that show a listen, a full listen as well. It's episode 216. I recorded about a year ago, but I hope you enjoy this little snippet from that show. I'd say that's a big mistake we did is we spread ourselves way too thin for way too long wow, with this company. Okay. And I think uh, it it required me working from 6 a.m. to 11 p.m. for years. And, and that's really not an exaggeration. Uh, I I mean, I didn't need to do that. I shouldn't have done that. Uh, it, but we also needed a couple years to, you know, get the revenue where mm. it needs to be to not go hire someone that's going to learn on the job and make mm. their own mistakes. We didn't want to just hire, you know, mediocre. young, inexperienced, mediocre. Sure. I, w- I mean, the people we did hire, Scott Levenhart, you know, came to us. We're in Manhattan. He was in Manhattan. He worked for at a, a $15 billion private equity fund for 11 years running their acquisitions. And, uh, you know, we needed to be a certain type of company to attract an employee like that. And he's just one. I mean, there's our asset manager, our director of finance, our director of construction, um, all of those folks. I, I, I think I've done a very good job of hiring folks that I'm, I'm saying they can do that way better than I can do that. Right, they're right. smart, they're experienced, and they're, they're singularly better than me at that part of this whole game uh, right. that we're in. But, um, but you also did a lot of that in the beginning. Right, you had to do it all because you had to be lean, you had to be nimble, you had to be yeah. dirty and gritty and roll up the sleeve. Because the, again, you, you talk about the revenue piece, you you couldn't attract that person from a fifteen billion dollar company if you had three deals. Yeah, right. That's right. <laughs> you, That's right. You needed to grow, and so yeah, you needed to do like if anyone was listening and thinking about doing this. Like, I mean, I probably waited too long, but still, you need to be that person that has done every single thing at your company so that you know how to oversee. Those guys that are going to be doing those projects, those guys and girls are going to be doing those projects later on. And so I'm very glad that I had that kind of organic growth through this company. It's not like I didn't know what I was doing beforehand. I was at another company for almost 10 years, but there's a difference between working for uh, someone else and working for yourself. Right. Um, So, you know, we we took on this team way too late still. We should have done it a year before we did. Um, but we're we're happy to be where we are. Twenty twenty hindsight, mate. Yeah. It's it's uh so I guess um with all that growth, you obviously it's just snowballing right now. Um what's been the most difficult, you know, situations that you've faced over the last five years growing it to nine thousand units? Like is there is there a is there a handful of them or is there one thing that you you thought, geez, this has been so freaking hard? And, and it could be more from a personal point of view, but what's been that sort of biggest lesson learnt? Oh boy. Um I mean you know, it, it, it's humbling to oversee a company this big because you you do so many things right, but you only remember the things that you right. had done wrong. Um, I mean, 
I, now I'm like, which ones do I want to say on this podcast necessarily? Um, I, no one's listening to it. <laughs> okay, good. Um, I mean, I, not hiring people earlier on was a, a very large mistake, and I don't ever want to make that mistake uh, again. Um, oh, something else that I've learned from, I, I mean, we have had folks in our property management uh, company um do things uh say one thing and do another mm. and, and really uh, i mean we just heard joe give that big speech um well i have had uh people at a property management company that were saying hey the occupancy is x y and z and they were showing something on a piece of paper that wasn't really what it was mm. and we trusted that person a little too long and then discovered the numbers weren't adding up correctly and you know that was a that was a significant amount of loss on one property just because we had one problem resident or, or uh, one problem property manager. Um, I'd, I'd say this is actually a really important lesson. Um, you know, we raise all this money and you go buy a very large investment. Like j let's just, our average purchase price in 19 was $51 million. Mm -hmm. You that's, that's comprised of hundreds of individual people writing checks. And then you entrust that $50 million investment pretty much all day every day to one person leading a team of leasing agents and uh, uh maintenance staff and they can really drive that extremely large investment into the ground yep. and then you'll find out about it and you'll replace that person but it'll take time to start writing that large ship which is kind of sinking right now right. yep um so i i mean and i'm sure I you've had that say, experience right well that is what happened right. and like i i guess I, I just can't say enough about like how important oversight and asset management really is. And this is the difference is you can have great property managers that are doing a great job. But at the end of the day, they get no upside. They're not part mm -hmm. of the ownership. And so they're looking at the task through a slightly different prism than you're looking at. It. And you have to remember, this is this is your baby. Mm -hmm. This is yep. that person's going to go get another job. Oh, man. You know, I lost my job. I got another one tomorrow. Right. You're stuck with a property that's at 85% or, yep. you know, your demographic has really gone down the tube because they just weren't leasing at the criteria that you told them to right. lease at or doing a number of other bad things that create significant loss for your investment, for your investors' returns. All right, next up, we are talking with a great guy, Mr. Kevin Bupp. And Kevin... What can I say about Kevin? Kevin, if you want down to earth, there's no more down to earth than this bloke. He is a true, true good dude. He's just an all-rounder. He, he gives it his all and he is so, so approachable. I think that's the best part about it. I remember when I first got started in this industry, I interviewed him on this show. I've interviewed him a couple of times um, and you can go back and listen to some of the earlier episodes that I interviewed with him way back in like before episode 50. I think it was even the top 30 episodes on this show. But I actually interviewed him more recently at the live event in Colorado, which I was at a conference recording, doing a podcast booth, and I was recording a bunch of entrepreneurs who were walking by. I was pulling them in the booth. He happened to be one of them. And he came back on the show to share his incredible story, episode 217, of the importance of vertically integrating your business. And he's in a business of mobile home park investing where 
he has noticed that there's not a lot of great property management companies out there, not industry-wide at least. And so he's on a mission to go and create the best mobile home park property management company he can in order to be vertically integrated within his business. He owns a couple of thousand mobile home parks across the country. He's a super passionate guy about when it comes to mobile home park investing and creating cash flow. I hope you really enjoy this episode, but definitely go back and listen to the entire episode. But this is just a snippet of that incredible show from early 2020. I hope you enjoy. Everyone knows that old adage of like, you want to buy when there's blood in the streets, right? Yep. Like looking back, I can see, you know, one of the, the fail points uh, uh, of that period of time was that I should just pull my damn pants back up and uh, got out there and started buying opportunities. Like talk about the best time in history to buy distressed assets yep. was when I wasn't buying them. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just, and so, but the challenge is, is like when it's your blood, it's really hard to right. get out of that frame of mind. Right. And so. I bet you there'll be some dark times there. Man, it was it was rough. It was rough. I, what what ultimately played out is and, well it, to expand on that. Everyone I knew that owned real estate in my Florida bubble also lost everything. And so yeah. like all I heard was like this negative, like the world's ending all around me. Like yep. I didn't have any, I didn't have positive role models that said, hey, like you know, here's a way to get through it. And like you know, we're doing this that, and the other. Here's some strategies. Like that didn't. Yep. Everyone was just losing their you know the shirt. their shirts. That's yeah, it. yeah. And so yeah. Um, the one thing I knew I could control to a certain extent was my emotional well-being and also my health. Mm-hmm. I was always into health and fitness, you know, big runner, cyclist, what have you. And so I'd literally just put a huge emphasis on that part of my life because I figured like, you know what? Shit's hitting the fan. Things are really bad financially. Mm-hmm. I literally cannot control that. Yep. It was out of control. Yep. Every every other day, a process server was knocking on the door. It was just, you know, you know serving me with a lawsuit. And, and, uh, how did you, just jumping in there for a little bit, because I interviewed yeah. Trevor McGregor earlier today and talking about, and, and I've been a big believer of, of having the pillars in life where you, mm-hmm. when, when, excuse my language, shit hits the fan on the business side, yeah. having the family and the love and the relationships around because yeah. they're the other pillars that support the table, right? Yeah. yeah. Did you double down? It sounds like you doubled down on those. Yeah. You know, my family lived a thousand miles away, so I didn't really have like immediate family support. Um, my, who is now my wife today, I just literally started dating her like three months prior to all this happening. So, like, while she was there for me, like, we weren't that deep into it. Yeah. And so, yeah. And again, all my immediate, like, very close friends, if they were in real estate, they were experiencing the same pain. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have a lot of those support pillars. I had myself to figure it out, right. you know? And, uh, and so again, I doubled down on the health and fitness and, uh, knew that as long as I could, you know, if I felt good and I had energy that I would work my way through and I'd figure something else out. And, and what kind of transpired out of that is again, being a big runner and a big cyclist, I was already involved in those communities. I'd go to run clubs a couple of times a week, you know, uh, you know go to cycling events and what have you. And so I basically built two businesses that revolved immediately around those two sports. Okay. It allowed me to be closer to the people I enjoyed being around. I didn't have to hear the negative real estate talk because most of those people that were in those clubs weren't real estate investors, right? And so right. it just it was like my escape and also a way to keep a roof over my head and actually That's have awesome. some, you know, be able to handle What did you create from a, from a sports and fitness point of view? Yeah. So uh, my wife and I ran, uh, uh, well, she wasn't my wife then, but uh, we ran Chicago Marathon back in 2008. So like right in the middle of all this and- uh, you know, if you've, have you ever run a marathon? No, but I know that it's a okay. massive business of owning marathons around the world. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. It, it's a well, whole thing. We didn't thing. do that. We didn't start a marathon <laughs> you know, business. But uh, what we did realize, and my wife had run New York Marathon a couple of times prior to right. that. And uh, one thing that happens in a marathon, you know, especially these bigger marathons like New York City Marathon, Boston Marathon, what have you, is uh, there's a lot of spectator support. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what a lot of runners do is they actually write their name. They yep. literally write their name on the shirt so that people are like, hey, go Kevin, go Kevin, whatever. 
And I was very baffled at the expo before the Chicago Marathon as to why there wasn't a service there where I could actually, instead of using a black magic marker, black tape, it looked like shit, right? <laughs> or like ruining like a really yeah. nice Nike shirt, then I couldn't like get one that actually looked half decent right. that would be printed. It was just an idea. It came about. I did some researching on like, you know, printing technologies, what have you, and realized there's a technology called sublimation that allowed you to print on dry fit. It, you know, it, it was at a price point where I could sell one-offs. I didn't have to like, you know, make a hundred shirts at a time sure. to make it affordable. Sure. Anyway, so I was like, hey, I think there's a need here. Let me, you put together a website, hired a bunch of VAs in the Philippines. I'd never built a website wow. in my life. And you had an online business. And, and literally put together an e-commerce site. We could design your own shirt, you know, That's specific. specific to runners. And, Is it uh, still around today? I sold it. I sold it like five years ago. That's awesome. I mean, yeah, it, it was in a business that was worth millions of dollars. So like, I don't want to over-exaggerate here. It allowed me to pay my bills, Yep. you know, put food on my plate. Keep a roof over your head. And, and have some fun with it. And the other business that started out of that was, uh, I'm really into craft beer. One of the running clubs I went to, it was always at a brewery. And I was always amazed that it was always on like a Monday night, which is like their slowest night, but they would bring like 50 runners in. And I'm like, this brewery should be paying us some money. Like these people wouldn't come here. Like yeah, these, yeah, yeah. these patrons would not be coming here if it wasn't for this run club, especially on a Monday night, right? This restaurant's probably doing another $2,000 of revenue. And so we basically built a model around that to where basically we got paid based on the tier system for how many runners we'd bring in. So we started a run club called Running for Brews. Still in existence today. We got 50 locations across the country. That is awesome. And uh, I'm no longer involved. I had a partner I brought in a couple years into it. And he like runs it full-fledged. And uh, basically we get paid by the bars. We get the slowest night. We fill it with people. And we go for a 5K run. And we drink beers afterwards. <laughs> Next up, I have another Kraken Aussie who's been crushing it around the world, and I'm talking about Mr. Daniel Priestley. I'm another fanboy of Daniel. He actually grew up on the Sunshine Coast, uh, near where I'm from, but he has gone over to take over the world. He is the author of Key Person of Influence. It's a book that has been extremely powerful in my growth as a podcaster, as trying to be a thought leader, as trying to build my own brand, and he is the godfather of talking about that sort of stuff. He is also the co-founder of Dent Global, which we talked about earlier in the last episode about Glenn Carlson. They are partners. So this is, he, this is the, this is, I don't want to say the brains behind it, but he has definitely been very influential in growing Key Person of Influence, because uh, well, he was the author of Key Person of Influence, but growing Dent Global into the massive, massive accelerator program that it is today. If you don't know anything about Dent Global, give it a listen. Uh, go and Google dentglobal.com and check it out. Dan has an incredible story of building businesses since the age of 18 years of age and hustling and creating some incredible opportunities for himself. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did recording it. The fundamental concept is, um, is very sound. So if you look at even just key person of influence, key person of influence is, I mean, I build everything thinking in, in like 50 to 100 year cycles. I, I, love, I love trying to create stuff that I feel would stand the test of time. Um, I, love the, I love brands like Nike that have, you know, been cool and relevant for 50 years. Um, I love brands like Fender. Um, you know, um, I, I love businesses that don't change much over time. So like Lego, amazing. People love Lego, you know, and they've loved it for 100 years. Rolex watches almost look identical to how they looked, you know, 50, 60 years ago. 
So I'm a really, the, the brands that I most fall in love with and study and learn and um, model upon are brands that don't change very much over time. Um, I modeled, I actually modeled the key person of influence program initially on Les Mis, Les Miserables. Uh, so I saw that Les Mis was running in Sydney. I saw it was running in London. I saw it was running in New York. And it was the different cast and crew with really um, particular songs and a particular marketing approach that would work in any number of cities and provided you had a really great cast and crew, you could run it anywhere in the world. And I thought, ah, that's what I want to do. I want to model key person of influence on Les Mis. I want to be able to have a Les Mis show that just installs itself in a city and we just run it over and over and over and the marketing doesn't change much and the cast and crew don't, you know, they, they can change but it's always of a high quality. So that's how I, that was my icon for when I created the Key Person of Influence program. Um, I'm a big believer that you should copy but never from within your own industry. So go out and copy car companies, go and copy surf brands, go and copy motorcycle businesses. But if you're in business development, just leave, you know, just don't copy stuff that's within the industry. It's disgusting. Um, so if you're a car company, don't copy car companies, right? Go learn from, from someone who inspires you outside of your industry. So I'm a big believer in that. Um, so yeah, so that's, that was that. So future proof wise, key person of influence is pitching always going to be important. Yes. Publishing content. Yes. Creating products, raising profile, doing partnerships. So I've picked five things that will never change and haven't changed in 500 years. Um, uh, when it comes to the 24 assets, intellectual property, brand, market positioning, product systems, culture, and funding. So they all fit within that framework. These things are gonna be around for another 100 years. Um, we just need to be on the cutting edge of having world-class trainers, great methodologies, um, telling really good stories that people can relate to, staying relevant in the mind of entrepreneurs. So we've got a plan for how to, how to always do that. And finally, we have a gentleman who is very synonymous in the multifamily space. He's very synonymous in the podcasting space. And we're talking about Trevor McGregor. And in this episode of episode 215, I also have recorded him back at, at the Colorado conference that I attended back in early 2020. And we sit down and talk about achieving the best levels of success as an entrepreneur. And we talk about the human, the six human needs and the six stages of achieving success through those human needs. Trevor is an incredible coach. He coaches some of the best minds in the real estate business. If you are looking for a coach, you definitely should check this guy out. He takes your career to the next level. Every single entrepreneur who's really, really serious about scaling their business needs a coach in their corner. And coach Trevor McGregor is one of the best in the business. Give it a listen. The episode was 215, but now we're just going to summarize it in this little snippet. I love that read. Can I I'll just share with you that that is my favorite soundbite from this entire interview, because guys, it's your identity and identity is everything. And if you're not consistent with who you want to be in all of the pillars that Reed's talking about, you're still going to feel empty or feel like something's missing. And so when I do help people with their business or their real estate, there is a ripple effect that does come home to the spouse, to mm -hmm. the kids, mm -hmm. to the community. You know, we talk about their health and them being in the best body they can be in. 
you know, as a father, as a husband, as a lover, as a real estate investor. So we talk about travel, you know, getting out to see all parts of this beautiful blue planet. So my coaching is really based on what you're saying, all of the pillars. And if you're not growing all of those pillars and really seeing that they're all integral to you living a fulfilling and great life, you're missing the boat. Yeah, 100%. And, and that's what the, the, the core message of today's interview, I think, is going to be, is that the real estate is a is, is one vehicle to financial freedom, right? And, and I think you know, you're the best one to know that it's the 80-20 rule that Tony Robbins says. It's 80% mental, 20% you know, going out and doing. Um, so let's talk about that a little bit more in terms of the, 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 the mental side, because I think so many people, what we're talking about here today, guys, is more that you can apply these, these philosophies to any business you do. We just happen to be in the business of real estate, right? So, so Trevor, talk to us about what do you see the biggest, out of all the clients you've worked on, what has been the biggest hangup that people have? And I'm sure it's, you know, from case to case, their upbringing, their, 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 their subconsciousness, all that sort of stuff. But can you, can you sort of pinpoint one thing of, of what, they struggle to hold them back to, to go and be their best self? Well, there's really three universal modalities of fear. And I'll go over three things that I think will help answer that for the listener. And the first of the three things is the fear of failure. You know, if I try, I could fail, mm-hmm. right? That's the big one for most people. And that's universal. doesn't matter if you're in, you know, America or Australia, if you're black or white, doesn't matter, male, female. So number two to that is people might not like me or they might criticize me, right? Mm-hmm. It's like they're afraid of being judged. And so if they're afraid to fail and afraid of being judged, well, that's two of the big three. And read number three is a big one, and I see it all over the place, and that is I'm not worthy, right? They right. don't feel that they're really worthy of success, and that's a bunch of crap because we all have a unique opportunity to be, do, and have anything when we want. So the way I coach around this is I bring in a universal law. Now, if we really know that there are universal laws that govern this whole planet, like the law of gravity, yep. if we jump off the roof of a building, we're going to go down. There's a wonderful law called the law of polarity and the law of polarity decrees that you can't have one thing without the polar opposite also being available. I'll give you an example. You can't have day without night. Yep. You can't have black without white. Mm -hmm. You can't have masculine energy without feminine energy, the North pole without the South pole. Therefore, if we apply the law of polarity to those three big fears, you know, failure, criticism, or worthiness, it sounds like this. If I try, I could fail becomes, well, If I try, could I succeed? Mm. And the absolute answer is yes, right? People do it all the time. Number two, people might not like me or might not love me. Well, they could absolutely love the fact you're investing in real estate. Maybe they want to invest in your next deal. And number three, I'm not worthy. It's a bunch of bunk. Abundance (laughs) is your birthright. You have just as much opportunity to go out there and apply the stuff so that you too can step into anything you want to be. I talk a little bit about on this show, and I've, I've spoken about it being a key person of influence, and, and I've interviewed the, the, the author of the key person of influence, Dan, Dan Priestley, an action Aussie guy. And uh, he talks about standing on a mountain of value. And that's to that third one, that, 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 that belief that you can go off and do it. But, and people don't realize or give themselves permission about, oh, hey, I'm actually standing on a mountain of value, and it could be valuable to someone else in my sphere. I don't have to be Tony Robbins of the world, but I can help and influence someone else change their life. And that's, that is a huge mindset, mind shift for anyone to think about that they are standing on a mountain of value, right? Well, it's really true because you're standing on the mountain, but you also have to check in with your identity. Are you climbing that mountain as a victim or are you climbing that mountain as a victor? Right. You know, you can't have it one way or the other. You got to choose. Right. And most people are literally walking around America today going, you know, why am I so broke? Why Mm. am I so fat? Why am I so lonely? You know, we call those the big three. It's part and parcel to the quality of question that they ask themselves. If you say, 
why am I so broke? The brain's going to say, well, you spent all your money or you didn't invest in real estate, right? So you've got to really understand, Reed, that the quality of your questions is going to dictate the quality of your life. Yes. It's that simple. Yeah, no, I 100% agree with that. And I think there's so many different facets that we can dive into here. But I think uh, from a personal point of view, we talk, you talked about the backing yourself. I remember that taking that leap of faith and the failure You know, that we talk about. When I first moved to, to America and getting on that plane, I felt so nervous. Like, But I also remembered that I the, the worst thing that can happen is I could move back from America and go back to Australia and go back to my engineering job. And that is the worst thing. Because the biggest thing that drives me is the fear of uh, regret. Yep. And and waking up when I'm 75 years of age, you know, gosh, I wish I would, I wish I got on that plane to America, or gosh, I wish I chased that girl to to New York, you know. And that all that that has driven my life to where I am today. And I think that is it's it's about not questioning the downside and just well at least looking at it and understanding what it's going to be and being comfortable with the downside and going okay, if that's the worst that's going to happen, I'm going to have a pretty good life. You that's know what it, I mean? That's it. I love that. That's absolutely how I live my life too. And. I'll tell you, Tony Robbins calls it the rocking chair test. Okay. You know, we're going to all get to that 85, 90, 95, maybe with medical technology, the way it's coming down the pipe, we might be 100, but man, we're not going to sit there and reflect on all the wonderful things. We're going to absolutely lay in that rocking chair and literally say, you know what? I regret not doing this, that, the other. And you bring up a really, really solid point. And I think that people are starting to realize that now earlier than mm. turning 95, right. right? They're starting to really take a look at, you know, who am I? What am I doing? What is my why? Right. Why am I doing what I'm doing? And I'm seeing a lot of people really between those ages of about 35 and 43 that just literally draw that line in the sand and will no longer tolerate, you know, going into an office and working for somebody. Similar to yourself, right? 36. Yep. You, you, said, you said I'm fed up with this. Yep. Um, the other thing I want to talk about is this perspective of, and I want your, I'd love your thoughts on goal setting, but also putting these pillars out in life that um, you judge yourself. Oh, by the time I'm 45, I need to be here. Uh, I look at myself, I said before, 10 years ago, I picked up the book Rich Dad Put Up. I had no idea that I'd be sitting here you know, controlling over uh, $250 million worth of real estate. And what I've come to realize is that I need to stop worrying about the future and worry about what's in front of me and, and work as hard as I can. See the doors that open up and just walk through those doors and see what's in. The, the, the last 10 years have been pretty freaking awesome. I know the next 10 years are going to be just as good and live in the moment rather than always looking to the future. By the time I'm 45, I need to be here. By the time I'm 60, this old adage of, Okay, by the time I'm 65, I'm going to retire, and then I'm going to enjoy my life. What, oh. what, do, you, what do you have to say about all that? <laughs> oh, my God. I could talk for hours about that because I'm telling you, at the end of the day, we're always evolving. Yep. You want to write that down. We are always evolving. We are always becoming another version of ourselves. And I teach this thing called the ladder of success where some people show up poorly in life, and that's not really a great place to show up. So let's go up a level, and now you're showing up good. Mm -hmm. But good isn't good enough anymore. You want to go to the next level, which is great. So now you're doing things great, but what if I told you there's three more levels? Because when you go up from great, you go up to what I call excellent. Now you're showing up excellent with your body, with your spouse, with your kids, with your real estate investing, with your general contractor, whatever it is. But I'm telling you, there's still another level where you go to outstanding. Now you're showing up outstanding, but if you want to go to the top level and it can happen at any time that you choose to, you can be extraordinary or extraordinary. And so as we progress up and down this ladder at various times in our life, I like to really chunk things down, Reed, to kind of what you spoke about, where you want to get crystal clear on what the next year of your life looks like. Mm. Like, what are your goals for the next year? We call that short-term goals. Anything after that from years one to five are what we call long-term goals, right? Anything from year five and beyond, we call that your life's vision, right? And it's evolving. It's changing. It's morphing. 
we get different experiences. We meet different people. We get married. We get divorced. You know, all of these things happen. And I'm telling you, you got to be kind to yourself. Mm. You know, there's yep. a trifecta that I teach. And it's really where you show up, number one, having an attitude of gratitude. Because we're all walking around looking for the next thing when we should be grateful for what we have. Number two is what's called forgiveness. What do you need to forgive yourself for right now? What do you need to forgive someone else? What did somebody do to you that you got your feathers ruffled, but you're giving so much energy to it that it's creating an acid ash in your system? Yeah, it's going back to that victim mentality. That's right. You, get, you, 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 these hangups. That's it. Let's get rid of that. So once we do number one, gratitude. Number two, so, uh, you know, forgiveness. Number three is self-love. Mm. That is where you go out there and you honor the brilliance and the magnificence that you are. You know, when's the last time that you had a bubble bath or yep. when's the last time you got a massage, as you Aussies say, you know, <laughs> when's the last time you did something and you gave yourself just a huge pat on the back. But guys, gratitude, forgiveness and self-care can go a long way. And I invite the listeners to start now. What can they do? What's they, what what's what's a very simple step that they can do to allow that to happen? It's simple things like, you know, getting a, a journal and having a gratitude journal, yep. writing down the things that you're grateful for or Every night, my wife, Lisa, and I, we, we light a gratitude candle and we give mm. thanks for what, what happened during the day. Anything that does that, uh, ra random acts of kindness, yep. right? You could literally hold open the door at the mall for an old lady to walk through and be grateful that you've got arms and legs to move. Some people are in wheelchairs. So at the end of the day, Reed, it's the little things daily that you give gratitude that add up to the big things. And I think it's also focusing on the inner self a little bit. Now, as much as it's, um, you know, I know Tony Robbins and yourself talk about you got it. Figure out yourself first before you can go help others. So many people uh, want to fix other people, but they can't. They haven't fixed themselves first. And I've seen it in, in a lot of people. But the thing is, you've got to also realize that you have to allow yourself the forgiveness you talked about. You, you have to allow yourself to be kind to yourself. And you also got to run your own race because in this world of Instagram and online, you're always comparing ourselves. You're always wanting to, you know, judge ourselves to someone else. You're running your own freaking race. Relax. You know, life is good. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because Tony says that, you know, um, comparing yourself to something is like drinking way too much red wine. You get a, what's called a comparison hangover. You don't want to have comparison hangovers. You really want to, you know, honor that they're on their journey. You're on your journey. Some people are rabbits. Some are turtles. We go at different paces and guess what? That's, That's okay. okay. Yeah. That's, no, no, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. That was it's <laughs> no. I think that's really important because it is okay, and that's the self that's the self love and the permission you give yourself to say it's okay. I'm on this journey. I see so many people come up to me he's like, "Oh, I wish I I started real estate investing 20 years ago." It's like, dude, don't beat yourself up about it. You're here right now. Make it happen right now. You're at 36 years of age and you wanted to change change your life. It wasn't until 40 that you realized that. Um, so like so many people are like, I wish I'd done something else, and it's that that sort of those hangups and you talk about those forgiveness that release that of yourself. You're here right now, show up and you're going to learn because it's your journey. It's your journey to this point and then you're going to go change it and you're going to have an incredible future. Well, I love that and I'll, I'll give you a little science on how the brain works because, you know, every day we have roughly 60 to 80,000 thoughts. Wow. Now, some of them are conscious, some of them are subconscious. What am I going to eat today? What am I going to wear? Are my kids going to be safe? What's the weather like outside? Like 60 to 80,000 thoughts a day and I'm here to tell you that roughly 75% of those thoughts are negative. That means that 75% of the thoughts that you're having today and that you had the day before and that you had the day before and that you had the day before are really like grooves in a record, right? It's wearing these negative grooves in a record. Well, you know, when you read really good books, when you read really good, you know, autobiographies or biographies, or you go to conferences, you listen to audios, you know, you come to, you come to, you know, events, you can literally tip that 
the other way if you choose to, where you stand guard at the door of your mind and you don't let those gremlins, those saboteurs, you know, penetrate you the way that they did before. And again, it comes back to starting with gratitude, mm. you know, because the number one thing that the saboteur, the gremlin in the brain doesn't like is when you honor yourself for something or honor someone else, a little bit of forgiveness, a little bit of self-care. Guys, those are the stepping stones that are going to allow you to create this magnetic switching station in your brain to where your electrical and chemical charges start showing up differently. And when those happen, you start to get different results. You yeah. start to manifest opportunities. You start to meet people that are there to help you at that moment in your life that weren't there to help you 10 years ago. So mm. it's fascinating for me to watch all this unfold in my life, my family's life, my clients' lives, everybody around me. I want to quickly, you know, we're getting to the end of the show, but I want to change uh, change pace here a little bit and talk a little bit about your your international perspective. You're Canadian, I'm Australian, we, we both do business in America. And I'm sure the Commonwealth, you know, the British system of the tall poppy syndrome, you know where I'm going oh, yes. with this, uh, <laughs> and, and, and the whole self-boasting and pounding the chest. The Americans love it, right? Australians and probably Canadians are a little bit more quieter yes. about it. How, in your mind, like, how do you how do you tackle that? How do you walk that fine line to, you know, the, the self-permission to go out and be cool and awesome and pound your chest? Because there's got to be a little bit of that in order to, you know, get yourself motivated to go off and do something and achieve something even more and be a better self. Yeah, I think that there's a couple things I'd speak to there because I think, in number one, I'm all about people being hungry for more, you know? You know, if you're not hungry to go to that next level you're going to find yourself conforming, sitting on the couch, watching too much Netflix. And so I think as we have that hunger and that, that second thing that I call passion, those are the one, two punches that allow us to go out there and do more and be more, create more, uh, build companies, you know, all of those things. But it's really the ego that yep. gets in the way. And when the tall poppy syndrome kicks in or people think, well, I'm better than you, it's a bunch of bunk, mm. you know? And again, I think most people forget that a third of the world's population lives on $2.50 a day. That's an actual statistic. So as we're getting out there and we need the nice house and the nice cars and the nice jewelry and the nice trips and flying first class, that's not how I live, right? It's not how you live. It's not how Andrew lives. We are here to literally show up on purpose and with purpose to have a good life. But we really, really are here to contribute to the lives of other through our time, through our knowledge, through our wisdom donate some money to charities, do some great things. But if the ego is the number one thing that people are trying to feed, it's going to fall down. It's like right. a house of cards that's going to come down at some point. All right, guys, there it is. There's the top 10 episodes over the past five years. It's been an incredible five years, and I hope we're going to be around for another five years. If you've enjoyed these shows, if you enjoyed anything on this podcast over the last five years and what we've tried to create here, please share it with your friends. Give it a like on iTunes. Give it a like on Facebook. Give it a like on LinkedIn. Tell other people about the story that we're trying to create here, trying to help share the knowledge with as many people as possible. I know when I first started this podcast, it was just a labor of love. It's grown into so much more. It's opened so many incredible doors. I'm so thankful to be doing this show week in, week out with an incredible audience like yourself. You rock up every single week. Give me your support, and I just hope I can continue to provide the most cracking content I can over the next five years, and let's push it to a decade. Again, guys, if you do have any questions, you can please reach out to me at reedgoosens.com. I really hope you enjoy this stuff. I, I really, from the bottom of my heart, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for the support that you've given me over the past five years, and we're going to push it on to into the future. Um, we're going to do it all again next week because we're never going to give up here. So remember, be bold, be brave, and go give life a crack. <laughs>